0: Welcome to episode 413 with my guest, Becky Feldman. I'm Paul Gilmartin. Let me think about that for a second. Who am I? I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is... Gilmartin? Let's start this whole fucking thing over. Welcome to episode 413 with my guest, Becky Feldman. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this uh, podcast is mentalpod.com. You can also follow uh, me on Twitter and Instagram at... uh at mental pod and instagram there's some really great uh and twitter as well some great posts that a very very kind volunteer is uh doing um where she takes excerpts uh from the show or from the surveys and she's doing uh, little instagram uh posts that people are really digging and uh, shout out to brooke god bless you god bless anybody who uh volunteers or helps the show in any way, whether you're filling out a survey or helping the show financially, I appreciate everything, everything that you guys do. Um, We have some great surveys. Um, The episode, uh, the interview with Becky is a great one too. We talk about something that rarely gets talked about, but a lot of women uh, deal with, which is uh, vaginismus. Uh, If you don't know what that is, listen up. And you'll learn a lot, uh, but also a lot about loneliness, self-blame, going through stretches without doing any dating for fear of of rejection. Um, yeah, we touch on a lot of a lot of really good uh, stuff. Uh, and as far as the surveys, we have some great vacation argument surveys. Um, we have a survey uh, about a person uh, who wants to know if what they did is considered um, rape or a violation. Uh, we have a survey about somebody who experienced covert incest by her mother. And we have uh, an email that I received from somebody who wanted advice because they are turned on by pedophiles. And um, those are all things that are going to be read in this. Uh, upcoming behemoth of an episode we got going I want to put a little plea out there Uh, those of you who have been longtime listeners of this show uh, you probably remember an episode I did with my friend uh, Johnny Olson uh, a a while back Um, and He's the one that we used to actually a clip of uh, of his episode in one of the opening montages. It was maybe two years ago. And he's the one that says, uh, I I will hit the pipe at three o'clock and I will be in hell by 3.45. I might be getting the times wrong, but that's the, the gist of it. Um, anyway, he's a friend. He's a program person. He's a lovely human being. And his uh, partner passed away Um, sadly, after years of struggling with chronic pain. And the memorial is this weekend and he needs financial help um, with the memorial and the burial and all the stuff that goes with that. So I'm putting a plea out there. Uh, There's a GoFundMe page for it. And uh, I'll put a link to that under our show notes, but it would mean... It would mean a lot to me if you would, um, if you would help him. Um, I learned something interesting recently that I wanted to share with you. I don't know if you find it interesting, but I love when I'm watching a documentary and I learn why something evolved into what it presently is. And I, I was kind of wondered why bebop That form of jazz where you know guys do really really fast paced soloing. It's all instrumental. There's very rarely uh, a vocalist. Um, Like the the kind of uh, most common bebop would be you know the stuff when Charlie Parker was at his his best. You know playing 300 beats per minute. Anyway, I watched this documentary and. This jazz musician shared that the way bebop came about was in New York City, the city suddenly put a tax on any bands performing live that had over a certain number of performers. And to get below that number so they didn't have to pay this tax, they got rid of the singer. And so these guys were just, by necessity, felt like they had to make the show more interesting, um, or just enjoyed the, the room to just kind of stretch out and explore their, uh, fretboard or piano keys or whatever it was that they were doing. But, um, I found that interesting because I always thought bebop had just come from kind of an egotistical, uh, you know, let's. I suppose some people probably think bebop can be a little self-indulgent. Um, but when it's good, man, it's so good. It's so good. I want to read a couple of things before we uh, get into the interview with with Becky. And this is a memorable vacation argument filled out by a woman who calls herself Paul. Will you be my new dad? Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to think about it. And I will get back to you. Um And she writes, On a lackluster family trip to visit our relatives, my mother made an attempt to, quote, make the trip home more fun by stopping on the way back for a family whitewater rafting trip. Well-meaning, of course. What didn't she know? There were absolutely no rapids on this particular day. There was barely a current to speak of. What happens to a... Family whitewater rafting trip without rapids? It becomes a family trapped on an inflatable raft together in the hot sun, rowing laboriously for several hours. My parents barely skipped a beat before beginning to argue as was their way, berating each other with criticism for each other's rowing strategies. My brother and I rowed endlessly, as hard and quickly as we could to reach the end of this godforsaken river. The next part may sound over the top, but I really can't make this shit up. I was about 13 at the time and had not fully mastered the art of tracking my period. Yes, if there is a god, he was absent on this day. Satan was smiling down upon my sad pubescent body, seated atop our plastic inflatable prison. My period arrived with gusto and soaked through my white shorts. I still remember the clear expression of surprise and panic on my father's face when he noticed the undeniably obvious stain. My mother's response? What, you never seen a period before? Oh, God damn it! do I love when family shit just gets awkward and <laughs> dysfunctional. In hindsight... I love it when we can when we can laugh about it. Uh, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, uh, Roman. Uh, I use them. It's I'm not ashamed uh, to say that I have mild ED erectile dysfunction. See, I'm I, I. The fact that I whispered that shows that I still do have a little bit of uh, of embarrassment about it, but. Um, when Roman decided to advertise on the show, I thought, well, I'll try your product out. And if I like it, um, let's move forward. And I love it. Roman is a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door. You do it online online. Uh, there's no waiting rooms or awkward face-to-face conversations or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. Uh, all you do is visit GetRoman.com slash mental, fill out a brief medical onboarding, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Um, it... it I love, too, that they come in individual packets. So, um, for instance, when I'm heading over to uh, my girlfriend's, uh, I'll just throw a packet in my pocket. Doesn't that sound like that should be getting, uh, the beginning of a poem, a packet in my pocket? Uh, but it's super convenient, and it's so much less expensive than it is when I try to get through, through my health insurance. So for a free online visit, go to getroman.com slash mental. That's getroman.com slash mental for a free online visit, getroman.com slash mental. And I, of course, want to give some love to betterhelp.com, who has been a longtime supporter of the show. Uh, I use them. I love my therapists. Her name's Donna. She's awesome. Um, we work through whatever it is I'm going through each week, and um, i it's very nice being able to just completely be myself and uh, talk openly and honestly about whatever it is that I need help with that week or whatever ideas I want to bounce off her. And I'm a big fan of betterhelp.com. I didn't know what to expect with online uh, counseling, but I'm sold. I'm a big fan. I enjoy uh, video counseling. I enjoy not having to get in my car to uh, to drive anywhere. So uh, if you're interested, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. uh, Fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. I don't know who that voice was that just uh, appeared there, but I am going to get a detective on it and I will get back to you. Um, And then I just want to read this portion of a shame and secrets survey filled out by uh a woman who calls herself oh how the might how oh how the mighty have fallen and fallen and fallen and she is a, a survivor of uh sexual assault uh she's not sure if she's ever been physically or emotionally abused um she writes my family, especially my mother, but my father to some extent, has always been very invalidating of my feelings no matter what I say. For instance, even when I try using I statements and being very calculated in how I address something uh, they say that hurts my feelings, my mom will brush it off saying that I'm not describing reality. Then when I talk frankly about my experiences with mental illness symptom- symptoms, my parents instantly jump to my, quote, defense. Saying that I'm perfectly fine, and plenty of healthy people go to therapy, even though I'm not categor. And, then, and this is in parentheses. Even though I'm categor- categorically not mentally well, and have a handful of diagnoses to back that up. Um. I've been resenting it so much lately, ever since moving back home after graduating from college, and I'm terrified that I don't actually know what reality is. And that is gaslighting that your mom is doing, invalidating a person's feelings. Um it it you know it's a really subtle way of making it about them. By somebody not not hearing you out on what your reality is when you're talking about your feelings. It's not like if you had said, you know, a mom when you put on that that you know that orange wig and you chase me around the house with a baseball bat you know and and that never happened that would be a time for your mom to say that you're not describing reality and of course it would be a great time to <laughs> send you to see somebody but um there's just it, it's a very narcissistic way for for somebody to react to a person who is trying to connect emotionally. Um, any positive experiences with the uh, abusers? Sometimes my parents and I get along fine, and I'm still financially dependent on them despite my best efforts, so I feel indebted to them. Let me say this as strongly as possible. No amount of financial aid to a child erases invalidating their feelings none they're co- two completely different thing things, and one does not balance out the other uh darkest thoughts despite being an extremely uh actually i'm gonna i'm gonna fast forward to um what if anything do you wish for? Sometimes I wish I could go into inpatient or intensive outpatient treatment so my mental health could be my main priority and I didn't have the option of not getting into the nitty-gritty stuff. I encourage you so strongly to go do this. You are so thirsty for a validating environment, which in my opinion is the beginning of healing and having self-compassion and making sense. It, trying to survive in a gaslit environment is, you know, it's like trying to sprint on ice. It's, I encourage you to go do this no matter what your parents say. Um... And what might be good, too, is they might be called upon to come in for family night. And then you would have somebody there who can back up your reality. And I think that would be really, really great. And then any comments to make the podcast better? God, I love this so much. There should be a survey that tracks how often people listen to the podcast while playing Candy Crush as a combo coping mechanism for being bed bound with the crushing weight of being alive. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. I'm here with Becky Feldman, who I met through uh, the show Risk. We did a live storytelling uh, event, and mm-hmm. I came in and just caught the tail end of your story, which uh, seemed really fascinating, and you seem like an open person. And so uh, I said, uh, this is, sounds weird, but <laughs> would you be interested in coming on the podcast and talking about your story? Because it's something that... um I know, is a lot more common than people think it is, and it's not talked about.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, 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 Well, my story was about um, my struggles with a condition called vaginismus, which is a condition where the muscles in your pelvic floor have involuntary spasms, and that can make sexual intercourse very painful. And, you know, with that, the It can be very emotionally distressing for a lot of women. And so in the story itself, I talked about um, like this healer that I went to. And it was an interesting, it was kind of a kooky experience, but also a very profound experience as well.
0: Well, let's hold off on that for a while. We'll get to that. Um, But let's let's back up and talk about where you came from and mm-hmm. what life was like as a kid and how you <laughs> viewed yourself, the world, et cetera.
1: Yeah, well, I am from Voorhees, New Jersey, which is a suburb outside of Philadelphia. And um I guess what I – you know – would describe myself as a kid. I guess I was a bit of a scared kid. I was, like, scared of everything. And then kind of morphed into being a goofball, you know, when I got older to kind of offset the people kind of making fun of me. So I guess... um you know, it, it had my anxieties growing up, but um, you know, I had two wonderful parents. I have a wonderful brother, and you know, grew up in a you know in a, a safe neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Was there uh, anxiety in your family growing up?
1: Yeah, I imagine. I mean, I can't really speak on behalf of like my my family, but they're you know we are all very you know have or ha- neurotic, you know. Yeah. Um, northeastern jews i guess you could say so i mean how
0: how does somebody grow up uh, in a culture that has, has been persecuted and not have some low level of anxiety oh
1: my god yeah you're absolutely right you know i everyone i know who's jewish when i say something like very like oh god i, I got to make sure my purse is zippered and people are like i get it you know just like nice. these weird like are all of your bases covered in case nazis come or you mm. your purse falls out you know <laughs> yes
0: in case i'm put on a train i don't want to go on
1: exactly yeah yes. mhm
0: um so where where do we where do we begin when did you first um feel like your body was um Experiencing not not necessarily you know the the things you suffer from now, mm-hmm. but that tension or anxiety was on your radar and and maybe not as uh, you know maybe more than the average kid, your classmates or your friends.
1: Okay, like my you mean like just like my emotional anxiety? Yeah. Um, I mean. Always, Like, I, you know, when I was driving over here and kind of, like, thinking about what what we might talk about, I was, you know, th- had these memories of, like, like I was saying, too scared. Like, I was too scared to jump into the pool when I was five, and I, and I was too scared to go down slides, and I hated thunder, and I was just, like, always had, like, a, a, you know, this ball of anxiety, and I was, like, kind of fidgety. Like, I would, like, pick up scabs and stuff. And then when I got older and was, like, Going into, like, middle school, I started to get very nauseous on the school bus and was very scared to go into school because, you know, you're teased and or you're in, like, a group, a clique of girlfriends, and they're all, like, the mean girls and right. stuff like that. And you
0: have red hair, which I would imagine <laughs> is a kick-me sign. Oh,
1: my God, absolutely. It, and it just gets worse and worse um, up until it gets better when you're in your 20s and 30s. Um, and there was that. And then... You know, I will say i do I do. I was diagnosed with depression at nineteen and anxiety at nineteen, but I think beforehand I did have like bouts of sadness. I feel like I always carried some element of sadness, so i can 't pinpoint when the depression started, but I do have memories and of feeling that way.
0: Are there any uh moments from your life and they don 't have to be dramatic or huge, but that just kind of stick with you uh, where um you were just uh, got a view of yourself whether it was distorted or not um, that you think has informed how you view yourself mm. or the world or you know maybe moments where you felt uh separate or different or a moment when you f- suddenly felt a part of something and it was fantastic um
1: Well, I can certainly think of a lot of moments where I felt separate and different. Um, I think like one example is I did ballet a lot, which is actually one of the causes of the vaginismus I learned later of – you know, not being the skinniest one there, you know, and not being the best dancer and being called out by my dance teacher and made fun of and like kind of bullied in like a really negative way. Like,
0: like what would they say? Oh my
1: God. Well, like she, like I have a, a little bit of a pot belly and it developed, you know, when I was around 12 or 13 and she would like be like, suck in your belly, you have a beer belly or like, you, need, and I was like developing breasts and she was like, you need a wooden underwire and she was just like joking, but it's like... Not an okay thing to say to, I think, a 13 year old girl. I mean, it's definitely not, not, I think, I know. Um, to any,
0: to any girl, but yeah, especially, especially at that, at that age.
1: Yeah, it was really harsh and it made me feel like. I was ugly for a very long time. It became like hard for me to look in the mirror and consider myself pretty or attractive. And I think that those kinds of feelings were like supplemented with, you know, people making fun of the way I looked in school and at camp or wherever and um uh yeah, and I'm trying to think like of other moments that kind of defined how I viewed myself, but I always felt like I was apart from the rest of the world a little bit where i was like kind of on the outside looking in and Mm -hmm. that and that i thought was that and i thought that was my role kind of in the world was not being a part of it but just like peeping at everyone being happy a little bit yeah
0: yeah almost like they're martians like (laughs) what do you what's the secret yeah are you not paying attention how are you
1: yeah how are you
0: able to be happy and free um Camp, was that uh, the, like, Borscht Belt uh, summer camp? <laughs> it
1: was, yeah. It was Jewish Sleepaway Camp in the Poconos. Um And I, you know, at, while I had such a blast there and I, you know, re- I started performing there, like, I did the plays there. And so I, like, really, you know, that that was very an important, you know, part in my life. But, you know, at the same time, kids can be terrible and, oh, yeah. you know, and... Thank God, I don't know.
0: Thank God Patrick Swayze was there to slow dance with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was so... He pointed me out out of the, the crowd of other fancy-dressed people. Yes, and, he
0: saw you in the corner. Mm-hmm. He said, nobody puts Becky in the corner. Yeah. He took your hand. <laughs> and then a really long song ensued.
1: Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. To a
0: montage. <laughs> um, so when you got to experience uh, being on stage was it a moment where you felt like, oh, I'm I'm not necessarily cursed, there's something special about me?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just felt like, I felt alive. And I will say, like, the years prior at Sleepaway Camp, I auditioned for, like, Annie and, like, whatever, and I did not make it. But then just, like, one summer, I, like, Went in and I I don't know what it was but I just like let go and like sang a song didn't sing it well but you know I had the confidence the, the confidence the pizzazz you know yeah. and just something just clicked and and it was um it was a cor- so we did a chorus line but they of course had to edit it for a Jewish sleepaway camp so it was like forty five minutes long all like the the naughty things were taken out and like there's like this one song where. One of the, the actresses is supposed to be singing like, I went to church and prayed to Santa Maria. And they changed it to, I went to shul and prayed to Adonai. And it was just <laughs> <laughs> one of the funniest things I've ever gotten to be a oh, part of. Oh, my God.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, going back to the ballet thing, um, you um you said that, the tension there might have been the beginning of the the vaginismus. Is, mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, in, in what way?
1: Well, in ballet, you have to have, like, they call it turnout, where you're kind of, you know, you're... Your, your legs and your hips are, like, facing outward. You need to, like, have good posture and suck your stomach in and really, like, tighten up kind of your core. And when I was, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but when I was doing um, physical therapy for vaginismus, um my therapist said that, oh, I see a lot of women who used to be dancers and gymnasts, and they all had to do that kind of, like, that same position that same stance which is why they have like tense pelvic floors oh that Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah
0: um like the little kegel that could
1: yeah (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh yeah
0: and then that is the next musical i want to see you in (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) i hope they think kegel is like a yiddish word for something and not like (laughs)
0: um so give me some more Moments from a childhood or adolescence that you think kind of inform uh, your life, whether you still feel that way mm-hmm. or not today. Yeah. But, um, I just love when people come on and they share just little moments from their life. Maybe it's a beautiful moment with your family or mm-hmm. a sibling or a best friend or a, a traumatic Moment mm-hmm. or an enlightening moment, any anything. I know it's hard to be <laughs> yeah, put but, on oh, the God. spot. Have-
1: um. Well, you know, I do. I, there's one moment that like kind of speaks to me right now, where I w- would have like bouts of sadness, and I didn't realize that there was a pattern on like that. It that it had when I was in eighth grade, and I was like again the goofball in eighth grade. But I there was like. Two weeks where I was very quiet and, you know, I remember someone turned to me and was like, Becky, you're not as loud as as you usually are. You're not like as funny as you usually are. And I was like, yeah, I'll start being funny again in a week. And like, that's how I knew looking back at it that I had depression was that, Oh, it comes in patterns, and I just, like, knew even then really? that, like, I knew when I would be sad and when I would be, like, goofball again.
0: Did that, would that help you ride it out because you knew it would pass?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Or I just, like, it was almost like, okay, I know I'm going to need this weekend to kind of sleep and, yeah. you know, just, like, take a break from all of, like, this awful stimulation that that's around me to kind of rejuvenate a little bit. And then I was like, on Monday, I'll be back to normal, Becky
0: yeah it's funny people that have never experienced clinical depression they don't realize that even holding eye contact with someone is like bench pressing 500 pounds Mm -hmm. yeah so exhausting Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah I had a moment like when I was like telling a friend I'm like listen I'm really depressed right now and it is like taking all of this energy for me to just sit in a chair I can't even sit in a chair right now but I'm doing it but just know this is taking a lot of effort
0: Um, did you ever consider going to therapy? Did you talk to anyone about this, or did you just kind of hunker down? And
1: um, I started going to therapy when I was in college. I think in, in middle school and high school I- – I don't know i guess i just assumed maybe it was teen angst like i think there was a part of me that was like oh i know something isn't right but i didn't really acknowledge that until i was in college i was having a really hard time adjusting and knew that the school had a counseling center and i was like oh let me go here and then they suggested i see a psychiatrist and then you know i saw a psychiatrist and i went to the therapist there and then uh yeah then then i started doing it and
0: did it help <laughs>
1: It did. Yeah. yeah. I did start going on medication, which helped. It really did.
0: M- mostly with the anxiety or the depression? Or um, at
1: first it was the anxiety, then it was the depression. So I started off, I've been on, I've done do- a bunch of different pills. So I, I, I think I started off with an anti-anxiety pill and then the anxiety went down, but then I was feeling depressed. And then, you know, the doctor thought it was best to add on a antidepressant at that point. And all the while, I'm still going to see a therapist, which again, that was like, an additional like it wasn't like oh they just put me on pills and sent me to class you know i was seeing someone
0: yeah which is so important Mm -hmm. you know because uh usually it goes the clinical depression or the anxiety goes hand in hand with some type of a life event but Mm -hmm. not always but uh what do you remember um in in those therapy sessions um, any light bulbs turning on or anything kind of being processed
1: yeah I mean when I was first going again I, I'm just curious if this is like a Jewy thought but I was just like oh my god should I be here what if I'm taking someone else's slot what if there's someone more important <laughs> than me and I'm like, using their slot and they kept being like no <laughs> like, because I was with a, a person who was studying to be a therapist and she's like no you you signed it's fine <laughs>
0: That reminds me of uh, uh, Celia Finkelstein has a – there's a moment in uh, her episode where she shares one of her fears is that people are only nice to her because they're afraid if they don't, she's going to kill herself. (laughs) (laughs) Like. I love when other people share stuff like that because it is certainly not limited to a
1: single culture, right? Yeah, know, But, oh it, my it's God. so human too when I hear something like that because it's like what a crazy, well, you know, not crazy, but like what a what a jarring thought. But it's yeah. so human. Yeah,
0: we can use the word crazy I here. Know. We we <laughs> we can. I feel like it's you know one of those. One of those words that if we're using it about ourselves, we know that there's not malice behind oh, it. Oh,
1: that's good. Yeah. Cause I'm curious if crazy is going to become like the new hysterical a little bit. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. I don't want to offend yes. anyone.
0: <laughs> you know, as, as much social progress as there has been in the, in the last 15, 20 years, uh, especially around language, there is, are also elements of it that are out of control mm-hmm. and really stifling and, um, I used to feel like I had to make everybody happy in my word choices. And then I found myself just kind of almost unable to express myself.
1: Right. And, yeah.
0: And I, yeah, I, I think it's great to reflect on word choices and what might be a word you want to eliminate from your vocabulary. And then there's like, okay, no, that's.
1: <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um,
0: so, did you deal with your feeling of not being worthy of having a slot in mm-hmm. in therapy? Did you bring that up to your therapist?
1: Oh my god, I mean, I brought it up to my therapist for 2 years. Like, I couldn't I, I was felt guilty about taking up someone's slot for 2 years. Um eventually that went away. Um and you know, and then I kind of had to deal with Like, this is weird, but, like, having to – I had to deal with having – knowing I had depression, if that made any – if this makes any sense. Like, I get the diagnosis, and it's like, okay, I have it. Now I have to see myself not – yeah, I have to see myself that way and acknowledge that I have this and kind of, like, navigate through those waters a little bit. I'm glad you brought
0: that up because that, I think, can be as big of a hurdle as having depression Mm -hmm. because – there's something in us that doesn't want to have something that we will constantly need help for, that yeah. we will always need a visit for or a prescription for. And it's why I've tried to go off my meds many times mm-hmm. and it's always been a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and I will probably try to do it again at some point, but, um, it, it's, I get it. I mm-hmm. get that. And, um, talk more uh, uh, about that from, from your perspective of having depression and kind of outside of the depression itself
1: yeah i mean i think having depression is a for me at the time was a very isolating experience you i know, i didn't know anyone else who you know ag- you know either acknowledge that they had de- at least acknowledge that they had depression i was i felt all alone, and it felt like this. Like I didn't tell any of my friends that I went to. You know,
0: you to, so you weren't out of the cabinet yet.
1: No, I wasn't. Like I think maybe at one point, maybe I told a friend that I was going to the um to the, like the the counseling center and took and maybe took medication. But I was always like, yeah, I'm uh, going for a walk or like going to the gym. And I yes. think people were like, she's not going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I do feel like I just having to learn how to like handle my emotions, I think was hard because I think there was a long time and I still have moments where I, I just don't handle my emotions. I'll just like have a tantrum in my apartment or just burst into tears or, you know, feel very anxious over something that's very not that anxiety inducing, like sending an email, you know, like I still have those moments and, I I think um yeah, I think that's what those first few years were like for me. Um What's yeah. a tan- what's
0: one of your tantrums look like?
1: I mean, I Oh god, Well, this happen? Ugh. I um recently it's been like banging on the table or like banging on a like punching a wall, but not like with the side of my wrist, not where right. I would like at, like injure myself and I'm only mentioning this because like yesterday I was this would happen like when when like if I would get mad that something on my computer wasn't working. So I was in a cafe working on my computer, like something wasn't working, and I like very lightly banged on the table. But I was just like freaked out because I was like, oh my God, I just brought my internal turmoil, like outward. And I was always so afraid that this was going to happen one day where someone would see me like, Lose my mind, even though it was just, it was probably the weakest of taps. Um, And I, and like the rest of the day, I was just like, I felt so depressed about it. It's,
0: it's kind of adorable. It it really (laughs) is. It makes me feel
1: so much better because I feel like, oh God, am I this monster?
0: (laughs) No, no. The world needs people like you, the people that are not as self conscious as you are and as hard on yourself as you are, Mm -hmm. but people who are self aware. And yeah, and that's why I find it adorable, oh, because it's <laughs> so not interfering with people's lives, you know, no. it, and you're surrounded by people talking at incredible volumes on their cell phone about some stupid screenplay.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they I could have easily been like, I'm like, okay, well, if, if that guy who kind of saw me, I, I like I came up with this story of like, oh, yeah, the gears in my computer are a little loose. So I have to like bang on the table <laughs> every now and then. And of course, he's on his like headphones not even listening but i'm like concocting this whole like long (laughs) explanation i love
0: too the narcissism of low self-esteem yeah that we think somebody (laughs) is going to be interested (laughs) enough in us To prepare a line of questioning that we need to defend ourselves from.
1: Absolutely. And I have to say that I was thinking this story for an entire hour. Like, I spent an entire hour not getting my work done thinking of this, like, one-sentence story.
0: Where do do you think the um, feeling like you have to have a defense ready because of criticism, where do you feel like that came from, if if anywhere?
1: I think a lot of places. Um, I think you know from school from teachers um uh from the cool kids you know and when they're like why are you doing that and and i i think i think there are a lot of like instances where like if it was like a teacher let's say and i and they were critical and understandably critical like maybe i didn't do a science project well enough or something even if they were like you could have done a better job becky like I would lose my mind. I would feel like I'm I'm the worst. I am I'm, I'm hopeless. Even if like I can't really rec- recall like a certain trigger that got me to that point. I always felt like I worked so hard to to cover up my sadness, to cover up my anxiety, to like look as normal as possible and be a pleaser and be as perfect as possible and if there was like any dent in that, it was like my life was over.
0: Perfectionism is the worst prison of our own making mm-hmm. and yet it seems like such such a good idea
1: <laughs> at yeah. the time uh-huh. doesn't it yeah it's, it's yeah. Talk,
0: talk about your perfectionism
1: it, yeah i mean it's not as much perfectionism i mean i want to please people i just want people to like me i want to feel loved you want to be you.
0: not rejected
1: exactly i want to feel appreciated and i want to feel like again like part of this, this world, you know, thinking about like seventh grade and, and how horrible that, you know, those years are, like, you want to be accepted by anyone, any type of group. And like, I just, I just remember like bending over backwards of like, you know, giving my friends my snacks or like giving them presents that i made for them and the presents had to be perfect because god forbid that they would like write a note about me to someone else and it would right. just be it would be torture um it's almost like yeah. like
0: you were bailing water rushing into a boat with a with a hole in it like yeah. i you just gotta keep hammering away at it there's no letting go and relaxing
1: no it was i was always on i was always working i felt like i was never able to like relax you know
0: if you could go and get in a time machine and go back and talk to yourself from when you were in seventh grade Mm -hmm. what would you say or what do you what do you think that conversation would sound like between older you and younger you
1: well, I think I would first give myself a hug. I think I needed that, and then I would.
0: What kind of what kind of just hug? Just a we talking?
1: really long, like I'm sorry, kind of hug. Just like some sort of like, I see you, I feel you. I think that's what I I would say. Like I I see what you're going through, and you know, it, it like everything's gonna be okay you're and I would say like you're gonna have moments in your life where it's not gonna be okay but like like you're and I would also say like your problems are important like I think some with a lot of like look when I see a lot of kids that are in like middle school and they're talking about like you know their tests and like there's you know their social events and I think like as an adult, sometimes I find myself like dismissing it a little bit, but I think for a thirteen year old and even younger, like your problems are important, yeah. and and I think I would say that to myself too. Of like, you you have a struggle, and I see that, and but you matter, you know.
0: And what do you think, young you would have said?
1: I would have been like, shut up. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I think my young me would have appreciated hearing someone say that. Um. That being said, I'm going on a super huge tangent right now, but I was looking at my old journals from when I was in fifth grade, and that was around the time where I was like kind of in that mode of like trying to hang with the cool girls and trying to please the cool girls who were not good people. And I remember that my mom had a – like it was parent-teacher conference time, and my mom had a conference – had the conference with my fifth grade teacher, and my fifth grade teacher – W- warned to my mom to, like, not follow al- – like, tell Becky to not, like, follow along with everyone else. And my mom had told me that. And I d- wish I could have relayed that information, but I just, like, dismissed it when I was in fifth grade. And 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 so it's funny you mention that because I was like, oh, I should have listened to my teacher. She was right. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: You pr- probably – interpreted it as CIM different rather than those people are beneath your efforts.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, Which just seems so untrue when we're kids Mm -hmm. because to be a part of the popular group just seems like nirvana.
1: Yeah. And it's not even like – for me, it wasn't even part of the popular group. It was like just not being alone. Like I didn't care who it was. It was just like I need to – like latch on to someone because I'd feel like I'd be drowning.
0: Do you remember uh, having a close friend and what that was like?
1: You know, I had, I did have close friends. I I had a friend, you know, down the, who like lived, you know, one door down that I would play with. But... I will say that looking back at my life, I did have a lot of close friends and then I, we would drift apart. So I think there were moments in my life where I was like, oh, that person was my close friend and then that person was my close friend.
0: And would you let people get close to you? Would you share the stuff that was really in, inside you with them?
1: I've, I felt like I, when I did do that, I felt like I would scare them away. Mm. So I would share something, bare my soul a little bit, and then I... I don't know if it's me, if it's my perspective on this or if it was the actual person, but it felt like they would drift away and they'd be like, oh, Becky's too much or Becky's crazy or something. Or, And maybe I was, you know, like I think I, again, was trying to figure out a way, a coping mechanism to deal with all of these emotions I had. And I could have pushed people away or and or I could have isolated. I think it's a combination of both. Yeah.
0: I hear that so often from, from people. Um, they make that first or second attempt to reveal their inner life to someone. And, um, sadly it's met in a way that isn't ideal. Mm-hmm. And then they just retreat and assume that the rest of the world is like that. And it's, it's so unfortunate. I wish there was a way that, um, kids in grade school and high school, um, could bond over the inner struggles that, that they have. And I'm sure a lot do, but, uh, I, I think that would be such a great thing to provide kids to at least bring them comfort. You know, it may not take away the depression or the anxiety or not fitting in, but boy, that, I mean, the whole reason I started this podcast was to try to bring comfort, uh, to people who, are experiencing what I experienced and thought I was alone and different and hopeless and et cetera, et cetera. And God, the first time I realized I wasn't, it felt so amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I want other people to to be able to experience that that release from, from prison.
1: Yeah. I'm so curious what it's like in schools now where I think depression and anxiety is, is- – People are acknowledging it more at what it's like in schools. Because if, like, I'm worried that, like, when you look at kids, like, in my instance of maybe not acknowledging that it's depression, it's like, oh, you're a kid. You feel sad. You're moody.
0: Exactly. Especially for girls.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. You're dramatic. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I I, I hope that this parents right now or, or adults right now who are interacting with kids that age aren't as dismissive. Um, because I think you're right. I do, It would be nice to have, like, a, a a place for kids who do have anxiety or at least fears, who feel isolated, have a place to go and feel like they're not alone. Because I'm sure a lot of us have certainly felt that way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, since 2016, any – female or lgbtq person a kid even adult that has anxiety you look in the news how can you say you're 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 overreacting
1: yeah absolutely and schools are scary right now and like Kids can be terrible and like, you know, adults could be voting for things that kids don't believe. I don't know. I, it does stress me out a little bit and I just, I don't know. I hope that, I hope there are kids who are seeking comfort.
0: And that's why I think it's so important for, for us to have a a support network, friends, you know, I, I was in a bad mood before you came here and Mm -hmm. I'm, bad moods may be too strong of it, but I was feeling a little depressed Mm -hmm. and, um. I I can just feel my mood elevating from, from having this conversation, and it just reminds me that it's our instinct to retreat when we start to hurt is the very thing that can often make it worse. Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. I even when I, you know, if like I'm about to like meet a friend for lunch and not even talk about anything deep, but beforehand I'm like, oh, I don't want to leave. I'm depressed, and then I'll meet a friend for lunch, and then we we'll, we won't even talk about like like anything deep, you know. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, this was worth it. I'm glad I got out. I'm glad I had a conversation with someone. This was good. Isn't that
0: amazing? Yeah, yeah. Um. So what next?
1: Um. Uh. Should I talk about the vaginismus? Is that is that yeah, something yeah. to yeah? If you if you feel sure. like
0: that's the next uh, per- progression,
1: I guess so. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, obviously, I still have my struggles with depression and that that mm-hmm. whole saga. But um, so, um, like I said, vaginismus is a, you know a condition where it's you get spasms in your pelvic floor. There, no one really knows the cause of it. I, I, I mean, I think it was probably dance for me um
0: and where exactly i hate to to get graphic but i find myself wondering this where exactly is the the pelvic floor
1: um it is like good question it's uh like, you know, kind of, like, it's, like, your taint, I guess you could say. Okay. Okay. Um, um. But, but, yeah, put it in layman terms yeah, for us. Yeah. Like, but it's like, it, it does cons, like, from my understanding, it does constitute, like, your, like, where your anus is, where mm. your urethra is for ladies, you know, where your vagina is, like, mm-hmm. in your, your entryway. Um, and my, like, pain would be, like, like, Just past the entrance of, like, my vagina was where I would feel very significant pain. Um, Other women feel different types of pain, you know, wherever. And there's, like, a lot of different kind of conditions that women have – that women suffer with that, you know, no one – again, really not a lot of people know about, not a lot of doctors study – um, but for me, that was the the area for me. Yeah, and
0: and would you experience pain just uh, in daily life, not having anything to do with uh, many touching or, uh, you know, sexual intimacy?
1: I would feel pain with any type of penetration. So there was a while where, all of a sudden, I stopped being able to wear a tampon. This was when I was around fourteen years old. I just like got my period was you know off to insert a tampon and it just stopped like and so then i jammed it in there and felt a, a significant amount of pain and you know would take it out it would be painful to take it out again put it put another one in try again feel pain take it out and then with speaking of like Tantrum-esque behavior, I would get so mad and I would be like, click in there! And would just like jam a tampon in. And just be like, well, it's. I'm gonna leave it in there until maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. this makes no sense, and a doctor's gonna be like, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But in my brain, I was like, I, maybe it'll like fix its way once it's in there. But of course, it didn't. I my muscles. I I felt the pain, and of course, my muscles would tense, and then taking it out would be very painful. And I think since though that that time in my life, my body has associated. Any type of penetration with that pain. Um, so I did a whole bunch of things. I will for a while, like with this, I did a whole bunch of things in my 30s, let me say. Okay. In my 20s, I didn't do it, anything. And
0: would you describe the pain as sharp or dull or?
1: It was like, <laughs> it was like a barbed wire baseball bat was being shoved oh inside of my me. Oh
0: my God.
1: Yeah. It was, and it, you, and I would, feel like just thinking about it and thinking about that pain now, like I feel like my you know lower abdomen clench and like yeah. you know like my shoulders and and all that stuff that's that's what the pain was like for me,
0: good god yeah um so go ahead
1: um so, so then and you
0: kept it to yourself you didn't, I kept it to myself you didn't, I didn't share with your I, mom or see, your I doctor or anything
1: didn't I didn't because no one you just didn't know, you know?
0: Um, you just figured there was something wrong with me, but it's nothing serious. I'm just a...
1: Yeah, There's yeah. another thing about
0: me that's different or mm-hmm. broken or what?
1: It was... I you know, I think I told my mom, like, Mom, I can't wear a tampon anymore. And I think she was like, just wear pads then. Um, again, like, no fault of her own. It was just like, well, some people don't like tampons. That's just the, you know, right. the fact of women. And with my doctor... Again, you know, you're a lot of women are taught to like grin and bear it. Like they're like, well, any type of penetration in your vagina is supposed to be painful. Um, but you'll just but it'll like pass in due time, you know. Right. And this is kind of, I'm guess I'm talking about when I started having sex. But for me it never passed. And then I, you know, with the <laughs> with my depression and anxiety, I was just like, well, like I guess I'm broken. I'm going to be a broken woman and I'm never going to have sex. And I did not have sex for all of my 20s. And um, because, again, no one is, you you know, there's no like at that time, there's no like cosmopolitan article about vaginismus. No one knows what it is. Maybe there was one doctor in the country. They're
0: too busy telling you how to attract the guys.
1: Yeah. And there's like, which is. Still happening now, there was so much research going into like erectile dysfunction or like mm-hmm. male sexual like dysfunction as opposed to like really taking the time to like, and I understand that male sexual dysfunction is, is, is a thing and it should be explored and, and, and men need help, but also I feel like women have been like, vastly ignored yes
0: it's all it's usually been about what turns him on how can we make his orgasm the the best cetera. (laughs) but that does seem to be uh changing uh a bit
1: absolutely yeah i i think there is a lot more awareness now and i think there is a lot of like great women coming forward and 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 putting out articles and podcasts about about these kinds of issues
0: yeah uh and i deal with ed Mm -hmm. and um you know, at, at first I was like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to let anybody know about that. And I'm like, I-, I didn't. It's it's not my fault. Right. Other people have it, and the more shame I have about it, the more, uh, you know, it's it just continues mm-hmm. the the whatever uh, about it. But I'm 55. I take a, a shitload of meds. Uh-huh. It's not surprising right. that I have it, and thank God. <laughs> For uh, the the pills, yeah, because it it's just makes such a huge difference. I'm able to relax mm-hmm. and not be worried about you know um, failing. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a strong it's such a strong term, but um, yeah. But it, there's no pain uh, right. associated with it. I can't imagine what it's like being frustrated with that and then having pain on top of it Mm -hmm. so did you have relationships
1: no i didn't i will say like in high school i felt you know there there was the emotional thing of how i felt my about myself of like i'm too ugly I'm too like loud and unattractive so i would never have a boyfriend in college you know maybe i would make out with people here and there and then When I, you know, tried to have sex with someone for the first time, it was very painful. We had to stop. I tried having sex with other people. Again, the pain just wouldn't go away. And I just, (laughs) 23 years old, was like, I give up, you know. Um, And then, yeah, yeah.
0: Was it, was the, did you assume that if you were in a relationship, you couldn't have satisfying sexual encounters without penetration?
1: I know, yeah. I I thought that because you just again, like you don't think that when you're like 23 that there's like other types. It was always like the end game is like I got is you. intercourse, you know, yes. like that was the thing, and it was just like all you know, anything else was just like child, not child, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, paled in comparison. Yeah, which is so not true.
1: Of course not. So no. not true. Yeah.
0: Um. So then what? What's the next?
1: Well, I didn't do anything. I I will say that I. Were you
0: unable also to experience pleasure by yourself? I could
1: feel, experience pleasure by myself. Like, you know, like clitoral stimulation, I, you know, was, was fine. Hmm. But I was just with men was like, I'm like, well, they're not going to like me if they can't fuck me. You know, like it was, it's a sad thing. I hear myself and I, I feel, I want to give myself a hug again. But, um, that was my thinking, you know, and a combination, it was just this combination of like what was physically wrong with me, what I th- felt was wrong with me, you know, aside from my, you know, pelvic floor. I was just like, um, I I'm, I'm, no guy is ever going to want to be with me. No one's ever going to want to be with me. I'm just going to be like this cat lady without a cat. It's <laughs> so heartbreaking
0: and so untrue i'm sure there are guys where that would be a deal breaker for them but um i I know there's got to be a ton of guys who who that wouldn't be an issue oh
1: absolutely and when i started dating again you know when i turned 30 um um I, I had yet to deal with the vaginismus. I ended up getting surgery and, and now like I'm, I'm able to have comfortable intercourse. But this was before the surgery where I was just like, well, I wanted to start dating again. And I was very clear of like, this is all I can do at this point, you know. And and a lot of guys were really cool with it. And, and I wish I had known that they would be, what, you know. What
0: did that feel like when when a guy was accepting uh, of that?
1: I Well, I first would be like,
0: they're lying.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're lying, and I'm like, oh, they're not gonna call me tomorrow or something like that. But it 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 was like me again would give like this really long like I was like experimenting with like do I tell them everything? Do they tell them like well, vaginismus is a female sexual dysfunction. Like sometimes I would start with that, and then like 45 minutes later, I would end with so that is why I can't have intercourse. Or I would say like, listen, I we're not having intercourse tonight or or something, and um most of the times like you know they were fine like would these dates or you know encounters like lead to something else no were there some guys who were like oh okay, you know that weren't as cool with it yes but you know not that I would see them again you know right. um but yeah again i mean i'm 33 so this has only been like 3 years into <laughs> becky the dating woman so i'm still i feel like i'm like a thirty three year old but inside i'm like seventeen <laughs> yeah
0: so then then what happened
1: um so okay so f so in my twenties I was like i'm not dating again, I took you know antidepressants that like made me like like just lowered my sex drive like altogether, so I was like Great. That's convenient. I'll never worry about sex. Like mm-hmm. I'll just like take these pills and I won't date and I'm just going to be a single woman um I'll, you know forever.
0: Plus if you did have sex with someone, you would be taking the spot of someone else who could be having sex with that person Absolutely. and that's just selfish. <laughs>
1: It w- It is. I am taking up someone, some woman's slot who deserves to be there more than I do. And they would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why are you calling dates slots? <laughs> I'm offended by that.
0: <laughs> uh, so go ahead.
1: Um, and then I was, you know, like about to turn 30. And, um, I was, you know and I'm, I'm gonna this is gonna sound very rehearsed this was the start of the story that i was telling but i was like I, you know i was at home and it and i it was like midnight and i was on my computer all night and i was just like i realized that i spent the entire evening i was just like looking over every single like yelp review i ever wrote and was like re-editing it for like yelp reviews that i wrote like months ago
0: that is a cry for help <laughs> that is a food-based cry
1: for help. It really is. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Becky, you need to go on a fucking date. What are you doing right now? Um and I had heard about sex therapy. Um and you know, I later on I went to my psychiatrist at the time and I was like I'm thinking of you know going to a sex therapist and then he was like well you should deal with your depression first and i was like oh okay and i went to my therapist at the time and i was like thinking of s- seeing a sex therapist and again she was like you should just deal with the depression first and i so i after a few months i was like well like when am i gonna have sex then i don't know when i'm gonna be able to like deal with this, this yeah, depression yeah. what
0: if my depression never gets better yeah
1: which i think like I think right now in my life I'm oh I'm oh it's always going to be a part of not all of me, but it's you know part of me. So then I stopped seeing that therapist and psychiatrist saw a new doctor, went to see a sex therapist, and um you know, it was a slow process of seeing the therapist and Honestly, feeling like i'm deserving of a sex life deserve, uh, and not even sex, but like deserving of romantic love, and it wasn't just about the physical the physical issue it was about how I felt about myself yeah,
0: so much of that because I've been to a sex therapist before too, and it's about intimacy yeah. with self mm-hmm. and then and then with
1: others yeah and so i so I did some work with a the therapist. There And then it kind of got to the point where I was like, well, like, I, you know, so then, there, you know, there's like the physical work you have to do. And right. so with vaginismus, you, you there's different toys, there's different like exercisers. And so one thing I got was um dilators, which was like, it looks like those Russian nesting dolls, but it's like phallic things. All right. So, you get so this it's in just slowly. You just slowly use that. And I, you know, hit a wall around like the third Dilator, And I was turning back into that like 14 year old with these dilators being like, just get in there and feeling pain again. So then I think I did myself a disservice with the dilators because again, I was associating any type of my body was associating any type of insertion with pain. So then the sex therapist sent me to, sent me, she suggested and got in contact with, uh, a sexological body worker, which is what my story was about, which is, uh, it's a spiritual practice. It's, um, um, is they, this different
0: than a sexual surrogate, or is it? This different.
1: It's it's different from a sexual surrogate. There's no like intimacy between you and the other person. It's the person is working on you. Like you're not allowed to touch them. Right. It's basically a lot of massage. It's Reiki, but it is like pelvic floor massage. And if you want, it can be something that helps you, you know, discover your pleasure sensors in your body. Mm-hmm. I did do some like pel- like pelvic release work with him where he, you know, massaged, you know, th- my pelvic area and I felt pain. But I also like was like, hey, like I will discover, you know, my, you know, sensual places on my body because it had been 10 years, you know, since I had interacted, had any type of like physical contact with anyone. So they do. So a body worker will like, Do sensual touch. Sometimes you have an orgasm. Sometimes you don't. Um, The first time I went, I did have an orgasm. And afterward, felt disgusted with myself. I got very depressed afterward because it's so – it's alternative healing, but the most alternative healing that I could possibly think of at that moment. And I felt like I just got a happy ending massage. And I felt really ashamed of myself.
0: Like you – had exploited someone or you were pathetic.
1: That I was pathetic. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, was I. Was that
0: your first, uh, orgasm with a, with a.
1: With another person. With another person. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, how can that not be a mind fuck?
1: It, oh, thank It was. Yeah. I, it was a mind fuck. That's the right term for it because I felt like it was so weird, like when the orgasm happened and afterward, like it was like, it happened and the first thought in my brain was like, see, Becky, like, you, you can do this. <laughs> like, you, you can have an orgasm with another person. And then like two seconds later was like, Oh my God, what the fuck did I just do? Like, I just let this random stranger just like rub my clit. Like, and I paid him $500. Like, what am I doing? And that's how I felt like the rest of that weekend up until seeing the sex therapist again, where, and I did tell a friend about it and she was, you know, who had suggested actually seeing a sex therapist to me and like, you know, there were people who were like "This, what you did was good but it took me a really long time and
0: brave
1: yeah, I I guess it was brave no,
0: I guess, it's fucking brave
1: (laughs) thank you that's fucking
0: brave Mm -hmm. I mean, you you were in a difficult, difficult situation, Mm -hmm. you know I mean, that's that's amazing and then you have the first experience of your life all of that stuff built up mm-hmm. all of those feelings all of those questions and then you have it and it's with somebody that you can't make out with
1: right and yeah
0: cuddle up with yeah. and all the fun stuff <laughs> after
1: yeah, there was you no, like, sex. pillow talk yeah, afterwards. It I was, mean, like, PayPal. Yeah. <laughs> it made me kind of
0: sad hearing that, thinking about somebody being alone after that, yeah. that moment.
1: I mean, the, you, you're so right about that, because I ended up going back two more times. He did not cure the vaginismus, I, I, but I went back two more times, because I was like, okay, I got this first one out of the way, because I was like, what the fuck is going to happen? I go in like I know who this guy is. I know what his house looks like. I know his like routine.
0: And is he just total new age guy?
1: Oh my god, yeah, like beyond new age. Like if you picture were, of his yogi. Yes, he's like a yogi. He has like a ponytail. Like oh, yeah. you should see his his because he he has a studio like in his home and it just like is like there's a gong there and he bangs oh. the he bangs the gong and like the <laughs>
0: did he use the word sacred
1: all, all the time
0: oh my god how did yeah. you have an orgasm with somebody using the word sacred I. you must have really had a lot of pent-up sexual energy like all
1: of these tiny orgasms in me that was like we're gonna get out any way shape we don't form. care um when he, so like he so, like, it starts off as a regular massage, and then, like, at one point, like, when he takes, he, you ha- he asks you, can I take the blanket off? Can I touch you here? Can I, like, it, there is a code of conduct, obviously. Right. Um.
0: And you knew it going in that this was yeah. something, and that there, you would have consent along the way.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we had to do a phone consultation first, and then when I walked in, we had another consultation. So, there, it really was, like, I'm like ta- like sometimes when I describe it they're like you just let him do that. And I'm like, "Oh, no, 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 no." Um but when he was like taking the blanket off for like the sensual portion and it was time to get sensual and sacred, he like banged on the gong so loud and I swear to god like the whole his whole street could have heard this gong as, and he starts like slowly peeling like the blanket off of me and the whole room is vibrating and like I, I, like I mean car alarms could have been going off and like dogs were barking and it was like do these people have like any idea of what the fuck is going on here right now because it was like his place was like in a suburban town like nice families and then here's this guy who's just like you know giving people orgasms For money. I don't know. Um, Well, it's more spiritual than that. But yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: And did your sex therapist recommend him?
1: Yeah, she she recommended him. um, And then after that, um, she there, I learned that there's also just like physical therapists who help with with vaginismus Mm -hmm. and other types of pelvic floor disorders. And so after
0: and those are non-sexual.
1: Non-sexual. It's right. just like they're, they're doctors. Um, they, it, it, they, they, you know, will, will touch like pressure point, like, you know, trigger points right. inside of you. Um, and, and, and to help you relax with mm. the pain. But yeah, that's not sexual at all. That's just like right. kind of a, um, I guess a massage, but I also did like yoga stuff too. Mm. Um, and then after that, um, I ended up getting surgery. I saw this BuzzFeed video about women who have that. Vag- this was the first time I like was like, oh, my God, other people have vaginismus. Um, there's a BuzzFeed video about women who get Botox in their vagina for vaginismus. And I was like, I want to do that. So I,
0: But it doesn't get rid of the wrinkles.
1: It doesn't. Get, yeah, it's like. <laughs> I, that was
0: just sitting yeah. there, Becky. I, I know. How could I pass that by?
1: I feel like my joke is if I ever got Botox in my vagina, I would say that my vagina shows no emotions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up, and I'm so mad because I didn't get Botox. Um, <laughs> I do like the wrinkle thing, though. Uh, that is funny. Um, um, oh, was I wasn't going to say. Oh, so I find this doctor in, who who does that. I go in for a consultation, and he looks at my vagina, and he was like, listen, what I can do is... You know how there's those surgeries that women get that, like, they tighten up their vagina? Mm -hmm. I did the opposite. I got an opposite vagina tightening surgery where he basically... Shaved my hole, I guess wider. He noticed that there were still remnants of my hymen still there, mm-hmm. and so I ended up getting surgery to to remove and make myself wider a little bit. Right? Yeah, and that was the that was kind of the. <sighs> physically the final leg of dealing with the vaginismus.
0: And is there a name for that type of Yeah, it's surgery? a
1: perineal plasty. Okay. Yeah.
0: And was recovery painful?
1: It was no, not at all. Um That's I,
0: amazing because it yeah. sounds like it would be
1: horrifying. Like, yeah. Horrifying. I mean, it was like I didn't it was like, it, like, yeah, the stitches were like in my vagina, but like, they weren't like deep stitches in my vagina, if that makes any sense. Like, mm-hmm. I-, I had to take the rest of the week off of work. Um, it was difficult to like dry. One thing they were like, you can't ride a horse. Don't go horseback riding. And I'm like, I never go horseback riding, but like, oh my God, what if I need to go horseback riding the day <laughs> after for some reason? Um, um, but like, y- yeah, like I had like stitches in my vagina. It wasn't, it was like I couldn't wear jeans for a while. Um, for the next couple of days, I was like lying on my side a lot, like a bathing woman. Um. Did you
0: get some uh, 1940s headshots at the same time? Because <laughs> yeah. you might as well. I
1: might as well. I went by, I went by pool, wore, wore like one of those like old timey bathing suits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Had a couple of troops
1: Had standing around troops. saluting you. Yeah, it was just a, what a wonderful photo shoot. And no everybody smoked. Everyone, oh, of course, yeah, really long cigarettes. Yeah. And oh, simpler times. It was so nice. Um, um, yeah. And then you know it took a while to heal, but then after that, um once the stitches were healed, you know I ha- I went back to the doctor and they're like, okay. You can do dilator therapy again, but do it with vibrators. Like, do this therapy not just to get something inside of you, but do it so you feel pleasure. You know, this should be fun. He didn't say it in those terms because, like, it's a male Mm -hmm. doctor and he can't be, like, you know, like, go give yourself organ. Like, it was just, like, feel stimulation. And I think, like, what he was saying was, like, You need to associate sex with pleasure, not just with can the guy get... Physical
0: therapy. Exactly. And ponytails.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's about Becky now. Um, and, And so I did that and then, you know, had sex with people. And now I am in a weird phase with it right now because, like, I've associated myself, my identity... Negatively for so long as this woman who can't have sex. And now I'm this woman who can have sex, and I'm just like, well, what am I, what am I doing? Who am I? It's really weird. I'm in this yes. weird phase.
0: That's interesting. hmm <laughs> Yeah, that's it. I was, well, I was yeah. just kind of mulling that over, that it never occurred to me that that would be something that would be a remnant of it, that it would be hard to... Um, re-identify who, who you are. Um But I mean, is that even necessary? Or is that just something that kind of plagues you? Like, oh, who am I if I'm not that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely plagues me. I think for so long, I was like, Becky, the frigid woman, Becky, the single woman, Becky, the non sexual woman. And now I'm, you know, having sex and, and like being this Woman who is dating and, and, you know, not wearing frumpy clothes. And it's just, it's so bonkers to me. And I'm like, trying to like.
0: Is it exciting?
1: Oh, it's scary. I'll be honest yeah. with you. It's really scary. What do, what do you, I'm what scared you? about. Well, first of all, I'm scared about getting close to someone, not even intimately, but emotionally because I have depression and I have anxiety and, and you know, I'm going to have to reveal myself to a person in that way. And then there's also like being with someone and being like, hey, I'm not as experienced and I'm really self-conscious about that. I mean, granted, there have been I've had wonderful occasions where it's been nice, but right now that's I'm still kind of dealing with that a little bit.
0: I, I I can tell you from a male perspective, <clears throat> I have never heard a friend of mine and I have never said I like her, but she's sexually inexperienced <laughs> and I don't I don't want to go through the hassle mm-hmm. of, you know, showing her where it feels good.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I've uh-huh. never,
0: I've never heard of that.
1: Right. And that's what a lot of people tell me, but it is like I don't know. It is just. I mean, you're. I'm so vulnerable to begin with when you're with someone, and then it's like. <sighs> Are you I, afraid of being hurt? Like physically or like, no, no, or emotionally? no, no, no,
0: emotionally. That um, that you're you're in a vulnerable place, and that that means that you can be disappointed again.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I'm afraid of like hurting someone else. Like, I think I. I don't know if this correlates, but like I have like really negative self-talk and and I think
0: that's apparent. Yeah, (laughs) I think I think the last uh, 59 minutes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm worried. What if I like carry that on to another person? Like, what if I get so, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm worried about I have like my own shit to deal with and I get angry and I have mood swings and all that stuff. And God forbid. Someone were to see that is. Someone is,
0: were to see that you're a human being.
1: Yeah. That has ups and downs
0: mm-hmm. like the rest of us. I
1: know. I, yeah, I can't, I can't believe how yes. other, how do other people do it? Yes. Like, who,
0: who are these yes. crazy
1: people? <laughs> you know,
0: it, it, I struggle with a lot of the same thought patterns you do, maybe about different things, but the thing that they have in common with what you are describing is, they are all based in the future. They yes. are all fears based in the future. Mm-hmm. And it is such a waste of time to try to plan our present day mood on the crystal ball we're looking into yeah. for the future, mm-hmm. which is almost never accurate.
1: No, and it's such yes. a waste of energy. And I spend, I'm going to say 99% of my energy thinking about the future. Um, And aren't yeah. some of
0: the the greatest moments in life, things that we could have never predicted would
1: yes. would happen. Mm-hmm.
0: And we never think about those. We right. never future trip and go, boy, <laughs> I bet there's going to be some great surprise that's going to uh enlighten me and bring me a deeper sense of meaning and connection.
1: Right. Never. No. You yeah. know, it's
0: always, uh, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to die penniless. Mm-hmm. And I will, uh, my last breaths, I will be staring at the sky saying, shoulda, coulda, woulda.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And that is like the cruelest thing that you can do to yourself. You know what I I think would be awesome uh, for you would be to read the book A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Okay. It's a little, there's some stuff in it, some language that's a bit new agey, Mm -hmm. but it's the most, one of the most profound things I've ever read in terms of helping me identify the negative voice in my head that wants to try to control Mm-hmm. the future. Yeah. And it's a great book to read like two pages of in the morning when you wake up and it really really helped me. Okay. And I think that I think that might help you with the wanting to project to, uh-huh. to stay safe.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think what else is also that I'm kind of dealing with is feeling like I am worthy. <laughs> Of having sex and 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 deserving of having sex, and I think like that is also what I'm like going through right now as well. Is like, and that has nothing to do with like a vibrator or you know a person. Yeah. Is just it's all with how I'm viewing myself a little bit of like, and I think obviously it's indicative of me valuing myself outside of sex as a human.
0: You know, something that is really uncomfortable is. When we don't love ourselves and someone is standing in front of us trying to love us,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, you know, I've, I've been working on that for years. And I can tell you that progress can be made. And I'm now at the point where I am experiencing that. And it's fantastic. But I had to work my ass off mm-hmm. in support groups and therapy to get to the point where I don't Lose respect for somebody who sees me and mm-hmm. loves me. Yeah. And I think that's, that's there for you and for anybody who's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, plus you deserve to give it a, a shot. You yeah. know, you're mm-hmm. just the hour that I've, I've spent with you. You're a lovely person. You have a great personality. <laughs> you have a great sense of humor. You know, you're, yeah. Well, thank you. you. you yeah. <laughs> You, I really, I really, uh, and I hope I'm not coming across as like pontificating or pompous or talking down to you. Um,
1: No, not at all. It's interesting because like I, you, the steps I've taken to like help with my vaginismus, and I'm sure it's like this with other people, is like when you get help, it's an act of self-love. Yeah. and, And it's all, but then... You're also, at the same time, being like, well, I don't deserve self-love. And so you're kind of at odds with yourself a little bit.
0: It is. It is a war for a while. And it's like, am I a piece of shit or am I lovable?
1: (laughs) Only two. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's that black and white thinking, man. Yeah. It's it's so, um, you know, what I like to think of is I am flawed but lovable. Mm. Or flawed and lovable.
1: Yeah. I like and. Yeah. Yeah, flawed and lovable. Yeah, because butts kind
0: of sounds kind of conditional.
1: A little bit, yeah. yeah. But, you know.
0: Who isn't isn't flawed?
1: I I can't think of a single single person.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for for sharing uh, all that stuff and being so open and honest and uh, talking about such a... um, uh, an important and rarely discussed uh, topic. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you. I'm very honored to be on. I mean, I started listening to this podcast years back when I was like, I wish there was a podcast I can listen to that was about oh. mental illness. So it's just a, an honor to be oh, here. Wow. That means
0: a lot to me. Thanks, <laughs> no. Becky. Thank you. What a delightful lady. Uh, really enjoyed talking to her. And uh, I was just a guest on her podcast. Uh, it won't have aired probably yet when you hear this. I don't think it's going to air for a a couple of months, but uh, she has a podcast called Too Stupid to Live, and it is a book review of romance novels. And so she had me on, and I talked about a book that I had been suggested to read by my college girlfriend when I was in college. And rereading it, I was like, my God, that is the worst book I've ever, ever read. But it brought back a lot of memories. And I I think we had a really interesting conversation, too, about how sexuality is portrayed uh, in literature. Can you use the word literature for romance novels? I don't know. I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Mrs. Fields. You know, I first discovered Mrs. Fields. Probably about thirty years ago, uh downtown Chicago, I was working, and there was a place around the corner that had to be one of the first places and I would go get a warm Mrs. Fields cookie on my lunch break, and it was it was just one of my favorite things in the world and so when uh they decided to sponsor a couple of episodes, I said yes, yes. So, uh, if you're stuck thinking about what to maybe get somebody for uh, the holidays, they have, I think, the perfect present. Uh, they have a tin of delicious treats, brownies, cookies, chocolate-covered graham crackers. Uh, there's a butterscotch blondie in there that will blow your mind. Uh They've been doing delicious treats for over 40 years, from their signature chocolate chip cookies to handcrafted frosted favorites and melt-in-your-mouth brownies. They have gourmet gift tins and baskets. Um, Their cookies and sweets are baked daily and always arrive fresh and flavorful. Um, Ordering is super easy. You can ship anywhere in the U.S., and you can add a personal touch with a custom message, company logo, or family photo. And there's, uh, of course, a 100% customer satisfaction guarantee. Uh, so right now, get 20% off your order when you go to mrsfields.com and enter promo code MENTAL. That's 20% off any gift at mrsfields.com, promo code MENTAL. mrsfields.com, promo code MENTAL. Want to also tell you guys uh, about Policy Genius. They uh, nobody wants to talk about life insurance. Let's let's be honest. And nobody wants to go through the hassle of finding out what's the right insurance for me. Well, Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance. Actually, a bunch of different kinds of insurance. If you want to, in minutes you can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need at a price you can afford uh, there you can then go and apply online and the unbiased advisors policy genius will handle all the red tape and it doesn't just make life insurance easy uh, whether you're shopping for disability in- insurance uh, you know to protect your income or homeowners insurance or auto they can help you get covered fast um, their website, It's super intuitive. And what I liked about it is that it makes, it takes what is normally a kind of baffling, complex decision with a lot of different factors. And they make those decisions intuitive and they explain it in a way that simplifies it without missing out on any key information that you need to know. Uh, So, if you've been intimidated or frustrated by insurance in the past, give Policy Genius a try. Just go to policygenius.com to get your quotes and apply in minutes, and you can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. This is a memorable vacation argument filled out by uh, somebody who didn't fill their name out. Shame on them. And they write, On our honeymoon in Cancun, it got deep pretty quickly. Uh, I said by him not wanting to know about my past experiences with sex and made me feel unwanted because it is a huge part of me. I have trauma, addiction to porn, and sex. Uh, I have... Addiction to sex and porn at one point. It then escalated to him not wanting to understand my mental illness. It felt as if he had a picture of who I was, but it was all just a half picture. And he doesn't fully see who I am. And the mental illness, I'm pretty sure he assumed I would just grow out of it or something. From his point of view, I was having a meltdown. But for me, it was the first time I could express it after seven years of being together. I tried before, but he doesn't get it. Now I am mad. I just remember the hiccups and the tears and snot and my whiny voice and the hotel bathrobes messed up with my mascara. Beautiful beach, though. That might have been the most perfect way to just put a little button on a, on a survey. There, I mean, that's why I created the survey. There is something about... Vacations that bring out the best in us or the worst in us, or, you know, we want to poke the bear or feel like this is the time that we need to discuss this thing. It just seems like it, it, it just cramp, it just intensifies, intensifies things. I always say if you are thinking about marrying or living with somebody, go on vacation with him for 10 days. And that will be a crash course in, how it is to um, communicate and compromise with that person. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Red. And he is, let's see how old he is. Sorry, my elbow is uh, straight. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused. Um... Although he writes, I Although I do have some bizarrely specific panic attack-inducing triggers related to depersonalization, depictions, uh, bad drug trips despite my ongoing casual drug use, vampirism, other forms of mental co-option, etc., without any real origin point I can remember, which makes me wonder. I'm not even sure I understood what half of that meant, um, but I don't have to to understand the 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 rest of your survey Uh, he's been emotionally abused Uh, he writes when i was young my mother struggled a lot with anger escalating to screaming at tiny irritations i was often very it was often very scary and i would frequently burst into tears which she would try to delegitimize as an unfair thing to her the same thing happened with food. She wasn't the best or the worst cook, and any negative reaction I had to her food was treated as me just being dramatic. My mom was also very smart, uh, a very smart academic, and she was easily able to debate me into feeling bad about any expression of distress towards her. So I grew up trying to repress every anxious response, hating myself for not being able to, uh, which is anyone with with anxiety can tell you is a vicious fucking circle. For a long time, her screaming seemed like too stupid a reason for me to be so anxiety-ridden and suicidally depressed, and it took until I graduated from college to really understand the way she unconsciously grabs at the emotional and logical high ground by pushing people's buttons and denying she's doing it. And you know what? In her mind, she's probably not even... Being truthful with herself, either—that's the the fucked up thing about about people that are emotionally hampered uh, or terrified that they don't want to open that trap door to another point of view or to recall experiences from their past that they don't want to deal with—is they just they just have their own reality and what they think is appropriate. And you know what? That's totally fine as long as they're not a parent um and and if they're they're not then you know we can we can get away from that person we can set boundaries we can say you know what this relationship's not working for me um but when we're stuck as kids living with that person it kind of sucks and we also usually don't know that there's some type of dysfunction going on, so so we blame ourselves, but the good news is is you know once you become an adult and you're eighteen, if you're not financially dependent on them, um, you can say, "Hey, I've had enough." any positive experiences um we actually have a good relationship now a lot of the things i like about myself love of books dark sense of humor writing ability come from her and as i've gotten distance i've been able to appreciate that more her anger has mellowed out mostly and i've gotten better at disengaging from her button pushing too but we can't really spend longer than a week together without at least a minor blow up a week fuck that that's a marathon to me with family members um and most people I know Uh, most people I know like two days 48 hours is like the if you're going to spend time with family um Anyways, uh, there was this time when I saw her as this huge villain and I struggle a lot to see her as a person while also being conscious of the abuse and the prison of self-loathing and anger it trapped me in. I haven't really talked about it with her and I know I should, but it's so much easier to talk to my dad about it than bring it up with my mom and I don't know if I'm at a place where I can talk about it with her without triggering a screaming argument you know from what you've i've read your survey uh, your survey obviously previously to this and my sense is that it probably would not be taken well but i think as long as you don't get your hopes up um because she she just really truly sounds like somebody that um there's just a block you know there's just a mental or emotional block where criticism cannot come in um Darkest thoughts. I am enormously jealous of my friends when they're in the honeymoon phase of new relationships and often enjoy giving advice when they're on the rocks because it makes me feel more emotionally stable. I think the advice is good, but I worry about the motivations behind it. I want them to be happy, but I'm also really afraid that I'll never love someone who loves me back. My life is filled with unrequited crushes. I can see that intellectually as a defense mechanism against emotional intimacy, but I can't seem to stop doing it. And every time my friends pass up an invite to hang out with a new partner, it feels like a knife in my ribs. I want to want them to be happy, um, but I often find myself rooting against them despite myself. I think a support group for uh, struggles with intimacy would be a great great idea and um, if you reach out to me via email i can suggest a couple um, to you or you can do some searching online but you know i i I think something maybe around um, love addiction might might be good Um, and i'm not trying to pathologize this um, as like oh you have this but going and checking out a couple of meetings you might find out if you relate to what other people are struggling with because, you know, when the primary role model of the opposite gender um is as gaslighting as your mom was, um it's it makes it really hard to have a good picker when it comes to looking for a partner. And there's a lot of unwinding of issues and feelings to get to the place. Um, And I know this from from personal experience, but it can be done and it's worth all the work. Uh, Darkest secrets. Uh, When I was in college, my roommate accused me of rape. It was a one-time hookup following a long, emotionally intimate conversation that involved alcohol. But the night of, and for months, Afterwards, I would have described her, A, as the aggressor, B, enthusiastically consenting, and C, totally lucid and communicative. Until the day she texted me out of the blue at 5 a.m. claiming that she was unconscious. Now, she was very conscious, but that doesn't mean she wasn't blacked out. For those of you that aren't familiar, somebody can black be out drunk, meaning they are too to somebody else seem to be in their right mind but that person is not completely there and they can even be speaking in a way that where they're not slurring their words uh, i know many people in my support group who would wake up in the middle of a blackout and they're driving so it's like their body is functioning but their their real authentic personality um for lack of a better description, is not there and awake and and in control. Um, she has worse mental health issues than me and is often on very strong rounds of medication. This year... Uh, the year before, at one of our friend's birthdays, she suggested strip, never have I ever. And the next day claimed that the alcohol had interacted with her medication and caused her to black out without anyone noticing. I know this can happen to people. I do not know what medication she was on the night we had sex. I do know that she had sex with me as a favor because I was still a virgin. Uh, she made Uh, She made me tell her how grateful I was afterwards. That sounds kind of fucked up. I do know that I had an unrequited crush on her during our freshman year that she saw me as beneath her physically. I do know that as school went on, I came to know her as an unreliable, dishonest person whose accounts of her personal life sharply diverge from those of neutral witnesses. I know that she texted unprompted the morning after expressing that she was happy it happened and saw it as a one-time thing. I know that I was on the same page. I know that it was soon after she found out that some of our friends knew we hooked up. We had not discussed discretion at all. And I told a couple of friends because it was an important moment in my life to me and I wanted to share with them. We were at We were all in a student theater group together, so it spread, but not far. It was months before she knew that I hadn't kept it completely under wraps. I do know that while false rape accusations are rare they do exist and it's possible that ashamed of having hooked up with me she changed her mind about what happened i also know that it's possible that while i participated in the act believing i had knowing enthusiastic consent i was having sex with someone who was not consciously inhabiting their own body she never made the accusation public beyond our friend group, who mostly either refused to pick sides or believed me. And I stayed roommates for the summer after that, but she was angry and I was defensive and we never had a real conversation about it. I've reached out to her in the ways that I can. We've blocked each other on all social media and got no response. She doesn't owe me closure, but I don't know how to deal with these feelings without it. And I don't know how to talk about it with other women I'm romantically interested in, I haven't had to share it like that and I'm terrified of the loathing and scorn I might provoke if I do. I want to go to therapy and talk about it, but I can't bring myself to. It's always I've always had an easier time talking and relating to women, but I'm scared that if I go to a female therapist, I'll either trigger them or find out that they hate me when I tell them. I don't wanna go to a male therapist because I prefer talking to women, but deep down I know that I'm looking for absolution and don't believe I can get it from a man. And it's fucked up that I believe a female therapist would have the power to absolve me just because she's a woman and i'm suspicious of the feeling that i need to be absolved because it makes this all about me or like i'm allowing my accuser to define my narrative in a way i believe is untrue on balance i look at everything i just wrote and i don't think i'm a rapist but i feel like i feel like one no matter how hard i try not to i feel like even knowing for sure that I was a rapist would be easier than this perpetual ambivalence, but that thought scares me just as much as the other ones. You know, there, there is a lot here that, that you have shared. And I, and, and I have to say, you know, while only you and her will have your knowledge or re- realities of, of what it was that happened, um, you sound like a good guy, you know, and and ultimately that's what matters is that you are woke and I, who knows what is going to happen as far as mending anything with her. Um, but the important thing, again, is that you have clearly educated yourself about what is important around consent and that there can often be miscommunication especially when when drugs are involved or alcohol is involved but your motives from what you described were you know good so who knows what she's thinking or what she's going through, but I think therapy would be a great place for you to do that. and i I think going to see a female therapist or a male therapist is good. and I think you, you should print out the survey and because I think it just eloquently describes everything and i can't see any therapist that would uh judge you or be hostile towards you after what you've written is a shit therapist and not worth a dime um it's their job to help people unpack things that are uh complicated by emotions and all the kind of stuff that you're you're talking about so um You know, you sound like a, you sound like a good guy, but ultimately everybody can tell you you're a good guy. But if you don't feel like you're a good guy, that's gonna, that's going to hamper you. And so what's the best way to feel like you're a good guy? Therapy and support groups. This is a a memorable vacation argument filled out by, uh, and by the way, I know I don't need to apologize about this, but I'm recording pretty late at night, and I didn't take my second dose of meds uh, tonight, uh, one of which is uh, Adderall, and I feel like I'm moving through mud, so I apologize if the pace of this is uh, unbearably slow. Um... But I'm super excited that I dropped my uh Adderall dose down from twenty milligrams to ten milligrams because uh, the the high blood pressure and the insomnia was uh it was really starting to bug me. Continuing. Uh this is filled out by Matthew and um He writes, uh, the entire vacation was a disaster. We, my best friend and myself, went down to Florida to see the wizarding world of Harry Potter. My friend purchased two bottles of Harry Potter branded pumpkin juice. She tucked their bottles into her leg, uh, expecting to present them to her mother, My friend and her mother have a running joke wherein my friend finds something pumpkin-flavored. She gives it to her mother, and her mother reminds my friend that she doesn't have any more room for any more pumpkin crap. Half the stuff rots in the back of her mom's fridge. So, TSA flags the two pumpkin juices and tells my friend she needed to pour them out or check the bag and go back from security. I voted for her to pour them out so we could just get on the plane. Her mom was aware of the taste of pumpkin and pumpkin spice. She probably knows the taste better than anyone on earth. My friend voted for me to shut up. It's a gift for my fucking mother. I said, it's overpriced bullshit. Let's miss the plane for fucking pumpkin juice? What the fuck? My friend opted to check her pumpkin juice and I opted to get on the plane. If it took off, she could figure her own way home. She makes her way back through security and sits right next to me and we spend the next four hours in stark silence. In a stark, clove infused, cinnamon wispy, deliciously nutmeg silence. I fucking love that. What, what is the sudden craze, or maybe not so sudden, it's been a couple of years, it seems like it was all kicked off by the uh, Starbucks pumpkin latte. Maybe it's a way that people can enjoy the smells of holidays without having to put up with your family bullshit. Maybe that's why they love it so much. Uh, This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Wee Tart. That's interesting because when I was a male dancer, uh, my name was Tart Wee. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of the ladies told me that um, I had a lemony taste. Actually, <laughs> I was going to add another thing to it, but my brain just went to screensaver. She is uh, in her 30s, identifies as pansexual, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, Yes, and I never reported it. Uh, My dad is an alcoholic and was completely checked out. My mom made me her surrogate husband. She was inappropriate with me. I just want to thank you, by the way, for claiming this as yes, and I never reported it. Because not only are you validating your experience, but I feel like you're validating the experience of all of us who have experienced covert incest. Um, and I would say, actually, with with your mother, um, it goes beyond even covert. And I have to say, actually, with my mom uh, as well. It's taken me a long time to get to that place to say that. But um, I've been doing this show for eight years, and it's so rare that somebody doesn't minimize what happened to them by saying, instead of saying, yes, something happened, they usually check the some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts uh, on, the, on the survey. So I just want to let you know that I'm fucking high-fiving you two sentences into your survey for how you are viewing it um, in hindsight. Uh, My mom made her surrogate husband. She was inappropriate with me. It started off with her just oversharing details of her sex life. Then she started teaching me about sex, but in a very graphic way, dirtier than Cosmopolitan or Playboy letters. She would go into great detail about different techniques, and how to get boys to like you with sex. She would grab my breasts and butt. She inspected my v- vagina and anus in a weird let's play nurse kind of way. That's where it goes from covert incest to straight up overt um, incest. Uh, I know this sounds weird, but I didn't really know it was wrong for a long time because it started so young. But I remember telling her to back off when I was 15. She kissed me on the lips until I was 20 and told her to stop. I feel really gross about it now. I thought it was love, and that shames me. She's also been emotionally abused. Uh, My mom manipulated me to make her stay. To make me stay with her. She had an eating disorder and used it to try to get me to stay home from uni. She was really upset when I got married. It's like she wanted me all to herself. She treated me like shit and she spoiled my younger brother. I was her punching bag in a lot of ways. Trying to manage her and my brother was the baby of the family. I really resent that now. Any positive experiences with the abuser? Uh, My mom loved me a lot. I know she did. She at least paid attention to me, unlike my father. That means she loved me, right? Question mark. I don't know. I feel untethered. I have no idea what is even real anymore. And you just described the exact thought press processes I had when I finally faced the truth of what happened to me. So you are right on track for healing. And there's no way around this mindfuck that you are in right now. It's just going to take time and processing it. And, you know, you wrote, she at least paid attention to me. Unlike my father, that means she loved me, right? No, it it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, attention. There's good attention and there's bad attention. Um, And, you know, my dad didn't pay much attention to me at all. And I was very comfortable around my dad because he didn't invade my space. Yeah, my feelings got hurt because got hurt because he, you know, he he wasn't a great <laughs> focuser on people other than himself, but I felt I didn't feel malice, you know. I didn't feel even though I don't believe the things that felt malicious to me from my mom were intentionally malicious on her part. I felt like and still feel like she's just a sick person who was very, very wounded. Um, Continuing, darkest thoughts. I've been diagnosed with severe OCD and have horrible intrusive thoughts about harming people. Stabbing my husband and my cat, driving over pedestrians, really sick visual images. Thanks to therapy, I'm beginning to understand that these thoughts are OCD and not things I would ever act on. They are still really sick though. If you've never listened to the episode we did with um Kimberly Quinlan, uh we we did an episode on Pure O, which is exactly what you just described, pure OCD. Um and uh, we have another episode um, that hasn't been released yet with her. Uh, I have lots of dirty sexual thoughts. I am bisexual and I want to be fucked by a, by a hot female nurse. I think this has something to do with the things my mom used to do to me. Mentally, I'm kinky, although I don't have an outlet for it because I'm in a vanilla marriage. I want to try a load of different things. I want to be tied up. I want to be, quote, forced to do things. I also want to be very dominant with a woman. I can't talk about these things to anyone. And you deserve to. You know, your therapist will help you decide what order to unpack things in and how to prioritize working on getting your needs uh met, but th- in my opinion, um your our sexuality, while we will probably rarely be a hundred percent sexually compatible with somebody, at least um having that person accept that part of us uh as as part of who we are is a really important part for intimacy. Um, you know, that person can accept that you have a kink that they may not be into and they may not they may decline doing things that involve that kink, but they should still let you know that they appreciate that you share that knowledge with them and that they accept all of you because your partner also deserves to feel safe and comfortable during sex um darkest secrets i look at naked women in the women's change room at the gym i try not to perv on anyone but when you see a beautiful woman with perfect tits changing it's hard not to look sometimes i imagine fucking them up against the lockers or when i'm when i'm having sex with my husband i imagine having a threesome with them um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I get off on the idea of being a young woman sold into sexual slavery, being taught the ropes by a kind man, being forced into things, but secretly enjoying it. I would like to role play this with my husband. I would love to have a threesome. I would like my husband to be the dominant one. And we would be there as his playthings. I want to be used. I want him to force me to go down on the other girl while he fucks me from behind. I am wildly turned on by 1950s pinup models. There's something about the buttoned-up air of perfection in those frozen housewives that makes me want to fuck them senseless. I want to push them down on their Formica tabletops and eat them out until their perfect hairdos are fucked up. That is such a great sentence. Eat them out until their perfect hairdos are fucked up. That's like a little poem. Uh, I want to rip their skirts and and hip height panties. Uh, I want to make them come so hard that they never want to fuck their husbands ever again. Uh, You have a knack for writing. uh, Just as an aside. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my husband my sexual fantasies and play around with them, but he is so vanilla. He won't even go down on me. I requested it once, and he said he didn't like the idea. We only have missionary sex. I don't want to force him into anything he doesn't want to do, but at the same time, I'm gagging for it. Uh, I mentioned trying new things, but he brushes it off and I don't know what to do. Having been sexually violated by my mother, I don't want to push him to do anything he isn't comfortable with, so I just let it go. Is it unfair of me to ask him to give me a little more in the bedroom department? No, I don't think it is at all, but this might be a thing to um, go to a sex therapist with so that Either you can talk about it together with this therapist and brainstorm about some stuff and possibly get to any um, blockages maybe he has. Um, But it it sounds like underneath all of this is a lack of communication because ultimately that's really what sex is, is it's a physical form of communication. And if the verbal form of communication and the emotional form of communication is stuck between two people, the sex is going to suffer from that, Um, at least in a long-term partnership. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that the NHS offered lots of free, free... I'm so sorry, my brain. I wish that the NHS offered lots of free therapy, not this six sessions bullshit. What am I supposed to do in six sessions? I wish my sex drive was less and my husband's was more so we could meet in the middle. I wish I was straight so that I wouldn't have thoughts about women that I will never be able to fulfill. The thoughts also creep me out sometimes because I know that a few of them are in there because of the things my mother did to me. And in my experience, some of the things that are turn-ons will be with us uh, forever and some things... um uh as abuse gets processed, uh they lessen or disappear uh that's what I have discovered but but that's why I think it's so important you know I feel like trying to deal solely with just this sex stuff before unpacking and doing trauma work around um the mother issues is gonna be put in the cart before the horse, but I think both of them ultimately. Uh, will be super helpful so that you don't feel stuck or frozen or like you're in a marriage that isn't working for you. Uh, have you shared these things with others? Uh, tried to talk to my husband, but he's having none of it. Can't really talk to him about the abuse because I still talk to my mother and don't want to make things awkward. Stiff upper lip and move on, as they say. Um, yeah, that's not acceptable that your husband doesn't want to talk about it. That's fucked. You deserve better and um i would really make sure you talk about that with your therapist and maybe do some joint stuff with a marriage counselor the uh who knows if you have money um and you can afford it that would be a good thing how do you feel after writing these things down horny um anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences a vibrator um Paul, uh, any comments to make the podcast better? Uh, Paul, I love the fucking podcast. I've listened to around 250 episodes and counting. I've noticed that you're changing the naming style of the podcasts. And honestly, to me, they feel a little click-baity lately. Uh, Quote, if only you knew this secret, uh, unquote. If I were you, I'd probably stay away from this type of title. But if it gets you more listeners... Uh, then ignore me and tell me to go fuck myself. No, you know, I, I I don't think that's off base. I'm trying to strike a line between getting more listeners because the show depends financially on having a certain number of listeners and I'm always kind of hovering around that place. Um, I, I don't need to get into that. But yes, getting and keeping listeners is a big concern, but I also um don't want to be i don't know greasy <laughs> or clickbaity so um i i try to keep that in mind when i when i title episodes and um so thank you for sharing that and as i've mentioned many times on the podcast if you haven't contacted me yet and you had a mother who um covertly or, or overtly um sexually abused you uh, or was emotionally incestuous uh, with me, (laughs) with me, all your moms did it. Um, Contact me. You can do it through the, through the website because I, A, would like to know more about your story and B, might be able to suggest um, a support group to check out or some books to check out. But thank you uh, for sharing that. I, I can't begin to tell you how much I related to your survey and it, it as sad as I am that this happened to you and that you're still dealing with the repercussions of it, um, it made me feel less alone. So thank you for taking the time out to f- to fill out that that survey. And then this is the email I told you about that I got from uh a person. I'm gonna withhold their gender. And their age because they have um, friends that listen to the podcast, and they don't want anything that might make them identifiable. And the email says uh, Hi, Paul. I'm struggling to word this email because I have so much shame regarding this topic, even though I'm trying really hard not to. I'm a sex addict. Mostly now, I'm compulsively using sex chat rooms. I'm getting help for this, but I haven't been able to tell my therapists about the content of these chats. I would go to support groups, but there aren't any where I live that focus on sex addiction. Uh, there are, by the way, online uh, support groups at In The Rooms. It's either .org or .com, but I hear great things about that. And I think they're mostly 12-step based. Um, I seek out pedophiles or men that will age play with me, but they usually turn out to be straight up pedophiles. I like to pretend I'm a child and I'm mostly over the shame that I carried over that. What I struggle with is engaging with actual pedophiles who want to do more than play pretend. Sometimes it's exciting to hear their, quote, real experiences with children when I'm in that lustful haze while masturbating. I don't know how many of their stories are actually real or made up, but I have a gross feeling that not many of them are fake. A lot of these men have sent me pictures of naked children, sometimes in sex acts, mostly unsolicited. Sometimes I agree for them to show me. I feel disgusted when I see the pictures, but it's still exciting. I used to use shame and disgust with myself to get off. When I'm sent these illegal pictures, it breaks the fantasy that I had in my head and I try to quiet the voice that is making me sad for seeing these abuse victims so that I can keep masturbating. I'm paranoid that I will be discovered for having seen child porn and it's my biggest shame. I can't help but feel complicit in the actions of these pedophiles even though I'm not paying for these pictures or committed the acts against these children. I validate the actions of these sick people by telling them that the pictures are hot and that I wish that that had happened to me when I was their age. I can't tell if I'm hurting children by doing this. I don't want to be. I'm horrified at the thought of children being abused and their trust being broken. But I feel guilty of of uh, participating in it participating in it. Any thoughts would be appreciated. I secretly want you to tell me everything's fine, but I want complete honesty because deep down I know it's not. Thank you so much for everything you do. You have changed my life for the better and innumerable, and uh, and I want to be like you when I grow up. Uh, And so I wrote back, um, and I did not know uh, what age or uh, gender they were when I I wrote back to them. And I don't think it really matters, uh, honestly. Um, I assumed that they were uh, an adult. And I said, thank you for your honesty. It sounds like sex has become a tool for you to escape pain. And yet now it is a very large source of that pain, which to me is textbook addiction. I'm not a mental health professional, so my thoughts are just from a fellow human being. I don't see you as a bad person. I see you as someone who is wounded and hurting and lacking an arsenal of healthy tools to cope with your feelings. Uh, You use the one you've grown used to, but as is the nature of addiction, you need a bigger and bigger high to feel the rush and it has now ventured into self-destructive territory. I don't know your age or gender, but from what I understand, when it comes to having illegal pictures on your phone or computer, the authorities don't care, nor do they care where you got them. You are in danger of serious legal consequences, and the legal system will not care that you are not doing this with malice or that it's an addiction. I'd hate to see you endanger your future. Is what you're doing contributing to children being harmed? Possibly. Pedophiles you interact with might ease their conscience by believing you're a child who wants this in reality. You're also not doing them a favor by enabling their behavior and facilitating their acting out and possibly even being the one who has direct contact with a child. I don't say this to shame you, but since you asked for my honest opinion, I'm giving it to you. You deserve better. You are worthy of happiness and peace, but the path you are headed down will not get you there. Healing your pain and finding healthy ways of soothing yourself is the path. It's a long process and requires support. You might consider inpatient sex addiction treatment at a place uh, like uh, the Meadows Uh, in LA. I think they have one here called the Center for Healthy Sex. Uh, the Meadows is considered, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, what Hazeltine, uh, or Betty Ford was considered to, uh, you know, alcohol and drug recovery. Uh, the Meadows is considered for, um, sex addiction and, uh, trauma addiction or trauma related addictions. Um, but from what I understand, it's also extremely expensive, um, I also wrote, uh, you should check out any books by John Bradshaw, especially Healing the Shame That Binds. Um, I hope that helps. Deep inside you, there is a beautiful wounded kid that needs help stepping out, but first, it needs to feel safe, and that's where recovery begins. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. The actions you're engaged in are only keeping that wounded kid locked away and distracted and numb. And you're endangering your future, your reputation, your freedom, and your financial potential. Is that worth it? And then finally, um, and I I am so, um, I feel so honored that, that people ask my opinion about stuff that is so important in their lives and you know i like to say often i am not a mental health professional so these are just my opinions um based on the books i've read the therapies i've been in the people i've talked to um and i feel like i do have good stuff to share obviously you know people wouldn't be listening to this podcast if they thought i didn't know what i was talking about but it's always a fine line for me because i want to help but i also don't want to overstep my whatever knowledge experience or expertise i may have i don't want to i don't want to overstep it i like to think that the therapists out there, the psychiatrists—they're the football team, and I'm the cheerleader. And it's a—I hope I strike that balance well. And if I don't, go fuck yourself. Ooh, ooh, that was a quick draw, huh? <laughs> Thought I was—I was reaching for my spa- sasparilla. I pulled out a revolver, shot you right there in the center of town. In front of everybody. In front of the sheriff. In front of the the whore. The the fella with the grizzly beard that's having no luck mining for gold. Who whistles. Whistles when he tries to pronounce certain words. Uh, This is just a portion of a uh, shame in secret survey that I want to end on. It was Filled out by a woman who calls herself Angry Little Blue Lizard. And I just fucking love this paragraph so much. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It's okay. It's all okay. Whether that's crying in your pajamas while watching trash TV because it was an arsehole of a day or because it was a good day and you're still sad. Feeling guilty about making recovery work or ashamed or anything else. You have feelings and good or bad, they are real. You are not fucking tired. You are important and valid. And if that means crying because you can't find a shoe, then that is valid too. That is a poem that just made me fucking smile. I, you know, I love doing this podcast, but there are some days when I love it more than others. And I don't have words for it. I don't have words for it. Um, Doing this podcast brings such a sense of meaning and purpose um, into my life that it, um, I don't have words for it, except I guess, thank you to anybody who listens or supports it or shares it with their friends or whatever, whatever you do to help me keep doing this either emotionally or financially or mentally. Um, I just really, really appreciate it. And, um, just never forget that you're not alone and thanks for listening.
1: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Fucked, fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely, beautifully, beautifully, know is bizarrely beautifully, beautifully fucked up in some weird way.